When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. again good to have your company for the global game at the world cup on day 10 of the tournament just 24 hours to go before australia's date with destiny against denmark and myself and john cosmina will be discussing exactly how graham arnold's team should go about the task of getting the points they need to qualify for the knockout phase we'll also review the games played today including the international derby between england and wales and look ahead to the other three games outside of Australia's on Wednesday. Uh, but first, our hot topic, thanks to Guzman y Gomez, fast food that athletes say yes to. Our topic today surrounds Graham Arnold's comments ahead of the Denmark game. You might have read them in the media. Uh, Arnie has warned his players to stay away from social media in the build-up to the game, citing his experience with the Oli Roos after their win over Argentina at the Tokyo Olympics. Arnold said, and I quote, it was too much celebration, and that celebration is social media. They get on that until 4 or 5 a.m. in the morning. They look at all the great comments, and it affects the sleep patterns. You're looking up at all the good comments, and the same people backing you are the same ones killing you the day after. So just get rid of it. Don't look at it. However, Cosy, that's rather easier said than done in this day and age, isn't it? It certainly is, Simon. And um, look, I agree with him completely. Um, I didn't know that the Ollie Roos were up till four or five in the morning, yeah. looking at how good they were against <laughs> Argentina. But uh, it certainly showed in their following performances, didn't it? And look, social media, whether you like it or you don't, is a part of the world today. I don't really like it. it um, it's too distracting. I think it has some value. Um, but generally, it's uh, it allows the keyboard warriors to have a say. There's the, you know, the proverbial cliche, 15 seconds of fame. And mm. um, I mean, some of the garbage that you see on there, some of the clips and um, some of the things that people write and the comments that they make, it uh, it's I think it's a bane on society, to be perfectly honest, but I don't know how we're going to get rid of it. Well, Michael Parkinson, I think, once call, called it the great human graffiti wall. Um, I stayed away from Twitter for many, many years. I was a, a total uh, non-convert until a few years ago. And I have to say that I... I agree with you. I think some of it is is positive. It's it's good to have interaction and listen to other views. Um, but I know from experience you can have 200 positive responses to something you've said or done, but it's the one negative that sticks with you 
sticks in the craw. I know from coaching experience, Simon, you know, for every um, negative comment that you make to a player Mm. uh, or that he might perceive as negative, you need at least 10 positives to uh, to sort of balance it out. Yeah. The Um, human brain is very complex, isn't it? (laughs) Well, yeah, it is. It's... uh, it's anyway. It's another story. It's not going to change. Um, yeah. And I doubt very much if they'll be deleting their Twitter accounts and uh, and closing down Facebook yes. or whatever else they got. It's something that has to be managed. I think. Uh, yeah. I guess you're happy that you played in an era where there was no social media. Oh well, <laughs> probably stopped me getting in a lot more trouble. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it did. Okay, that's your hot topic for Guzman y Gomez, home of clean, healthy burritos, bowls that athletes say yes to. If you've got a view on that, <laughs> strangely enough, you can tweet us at Global Game SEN. <laughs> so, the day is almost upon us. Australia versus Denmark at the Al Janoub on Wednesday, 6 o'clock local time. The scenario, straightforward, or at least we think it is. A draw, and Australia will almost certainly qualify for the round of 16 for just the second time in their history. That is, unless... Tunisia spring a major shock and defeat the world champions France. Now, because you've said on plenty of occasions on this show uh, during this World Cup that Arnie stays loyal to his players. Uh, so with that in mind, what would be your starting 11 to get the job done against the Danes? Would it be very similar to the one that took to the field against Tunisia? Exactly. The only possible changes I can see may be um, Milos Dagenet coming in at right back for Frank Karasic mm. and um, and then um, Aidan Rustic in for, for Riley McGree. But the problem with Rustic is, and I know I read comments um, that he said he got through a half an hour the other day, and I thought he did exceptionally well. He offers a, yes. a certain type of quality um, and cleverness that we need, but um, do you look at starting him and he blows a Gaskin after 60 because he hasn't played for a long time, or do you let Riley come in, who you know is a seasoned performer, he's a grafter, he'll do the shift, um, and then bring Aiden Rustic on a little bit later in the game where it, when it starts to open up and the sting's gone out of it. We talked about that the other day and it seemed to work. Well, that's a, the, the conundrum for Graham Arnold as well, of course, he's not just got to balance what he wants his team to do both offensively, but also defensively, because and we talked about this yesterday, the strength of the Danish midfield, Christian Eriksen, the creator, Pierre-Emil Hoybier, the muscle. So there's a big responsibility in that area of the pitch on the likes of Aaron Moy, Jackson Irvine and Riley McGree or, or Aidan Frustich. Yeah, no, there is. Um, but look, we've got to rely on those players. We've we've done it before. They've done the job. They did a great job against Tunisia the other day. Um, I don't think the Tunisians got on top of us in the middle of the park. No. The French certainly did, but um, that was more because we turned the ball over. Look, the thing is, and what it comes down to is, if we can maintain possession for long periods of time, like we did against Tunisia, um, against the Danes, and not try and win the game in the first minute, um, it's going to be better for us. I mean, Denmark, for all of their possession that they've had against France and against Tunisia, they drew the first game. Um, they got beaten by France, although they outstated them, definitely. Mm. Um, but they failed to penetrate where it counts the most, and that's in the front third of the pitch around the edge of the box. Yep, that's certainly where they've got uh, their problems. Uh, do you expect... I mean, Australia have started their... Their first two games fairly strongly. We scored the first goal in, in both matches, even though we lost against uh, the French. Uh, do you expect them to, to try and do that again, to try and put Denmark on the back foot, or, or will it be the Danes that come out firing because of what's required for them? And you know, in case we forget, they've got to win. They have to win. They've got to get a result. We've got to get a lesser result to some extent. Look, they'll come at us, and um, it's really hard to say we don't want to start this game at 100 miles an hour. Um, you've got to go out and play your best right from the first minute, and if things work for you, that's fine, but it depends on what happens with the opposition. I mean, you look at the opening probably two minutes against France, and they we they had us on the back foot. Yes. And then we settled, and then 
we got that goal. Um, then it was almost like we'd scored too early because it's like, oh, what do we do now? We tweaked the tail <laughs> of the lion, didn't exactly. we? Exactly. <laughs> um, the, the other concern, I guess, for Australia is that the sheer energy that was required to hold on against Tunisia, and let's be honest, that last 20 minutes was, was pretty nervy stuff. Does that mean that some players might be running on empty late on? I mean, it's only three or four days between games. I know that the Danes have had the same issue, but um, what's your take on that? Oh, look, you're always going to be fatigued, but these guys are professional footballers. They're in the midst of a season. So, um, and I know we've talked about that as well in this strange timing of this World Cup, um, maybe being responsible for a lot of the injuries across the, the different nations. But um, I think they, with Andrew Clark, they've got a fantastic conditioning coach um, you've got plenty of medical staff there they would have had the best uh, I guess advice and opportunities available to them to, to get themselves recovered um, you just got to do, you just got to do what you got to do and if you run out of gas there's five blokes on the bench I spoke to Reddy Mullenstein the other day and I saw him talking to um, the subs at half time mm. against the Tunisia game and he said and Graham's said about it in the in the press as well about what he talked to the players about um, give it everything you got because we've got five fresh subs. Rennie spoke to the subs and said, we're going to have to work our butts off here and five of you guys are going on, so you guys make sure you've got your heads in the right space. And that's what it comes down to. Yeah. Um, the the head tells the feet what to do. Your head's in control of your body. If you let your body control your head, it's really easy to put a flag up. Easier said than done, though, isn't it? It is. It? <laughs> it is. Um, it, Cosy, one more on this. This squad, of course, as we know, it doesn't have a Kuehl, it doesn't have a Viduka, a Kale, a Neil, a Schwarzer. It's much more of a collective effort. If they do manage to get through, do they deserve to be lauded in the same way as the team of, of 2006, which has always been held up as the benchmark, and rightly so? Yeah, but of course they do. I mean, if you put it in that perspective, Simon, that we don't have those kinds of quality players in the side that are all playing it. You know, I mean, you look at, we had Vince Grella and, and Mark Bresciano who, who couldn't really get a start in the 2006 World Cup, but they would had 300 games each in the Serie A. So they're not, you know, they're not donkeys, you know what I mean? So you've got quality players in quality teams. We don't have that now. And so for these guys to achieve, if they achieve the round of 16, it, it's probably even better mm. than 2006. And you can tell... Uh, how united the squad is by the fact that Trent Sainsbury, of course, didn't make the squad, perhaps controversially, according to some, is here with his family cheering on the team in the stands. He could have quite easily sat at home and sulked because he wasn't involved. Instead, he's got on a plane, he's come over here. I know he plays over here as well for his club side, but he's there cheering on uh, the boys in the stands. No, it's it's part of the collective. I mean, Graham's often talked about the legacy that he leaves, and and part of that legacy is not just blooding younger players. Part of that big part of that legacy is the culture that he's built. Mm. Um, and he did it with Sydney FC. If you look at how they went about things, and um, it probably without taking anything away from Steve Corker, allowed Sydney to go on with things after Graham took over the national team job. So um, it's it's uh, you know I'm, I would have been disappointed if Trent Sainsbury didn't turn up. Mm. Are you confident, Cozzy? What's your prediction? Look, it's <laughs> it's a heart, heart versus head um, decision again. I think we can get something out of it. Look, Denmark, Denmark is scary good. They are they're a very very good football side. They're clever. They're more clever than us. Taking nothing away from our blokes, but um, if we go in with the collective mindset that we had the other night, and there would have been plenty of discussion about that in camp since that game. Um, I think we can jag something out of it. I really do think we can jag it. 
four years ago in Russia. It ended 1-1. I think we'd settle for that, wouldn't we? Yep. At the Al-Janoub. Uh, but we'll see what transpires. Don't forget to download Keep Up, your home of everything A-Leagues, and watch the new docuseries A-Leagues All Access. Today on Keep Up, Thomas Sorensen says Christian Eriksen needs to be moved for Denmark to beat Australia. Find out why. And Steve Larkin, uh, Steve Larkin on how Harry Suto's performances in Qatar have piqued English Premier League clubs' interest in the big Aussie defender. That's all available on the Keep Up app or at keepup.com.au. You're listening to the global game at the World Cup thanks to Kraken.com, trusted by 9 million crypto customers worldwide. Kraken.com, broadcast sponsors of SEN's coverage at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022. One set piece here for Senegal, and they've responded. Their captain, Kalanou Koulibaly. And the Lions of Taranga are back in front. Two metres from the left of the goal, and he bends that top right-hand corner. Absolutely wonderful goal by Marcus Rashford. Here's a ball from Kane. It's a chance for two, and just like that, Bill Foden. It's grabbed another from the kickoff. Adams back in field now to McKenney. Over the top, Des running in back post. Heads across goal. There it is. The United States take a one nil leads. Christian Pulisic is the man. Welcome back to the global game at the World Cup. Thanks to Kraken.com, your secure crypto partner. Get in the game at Kraken.com. Broadcast sponsor of SEN's coverage of the FIFA World Cup, Qatar 2022. So let's review the four games on day 10 of the tournament then. Uh, starting, Cozzy, with the Group A clash, the 6 o'clock kickoff at the Khalifa International Stadium, which saw Senegal go through at the expense of Ecuador. This was a, a winner-take-all contest, essentially, and Senegal won it by two goals to one. I, I don't know about you, Cozzy, but I'm a little bit disappointed to see Ecuador bow out. I thought they were good value. Yeah, I think they were over the course of the tournament so far, but um, winners are grinners, aren't they? Yeah. Um, when the crunch came, Senegal were the better team. Uh, Ismail Assar uh, putting Senegal ahead from the penalty spot. A really silly challenge inside the box uh, before Moises Caicedo. I know you were a fan of his uh, an outstanding at this tournament, equalised from a corner. Uh, Kalidou Koulibaly with the winner. Senegal into the round of 16 for just uh, the second time in their history. They reached the quarterfinal, you might remember, in 2002 before they lost out to Turkey uh, in extra time. They now face England at the Albite Stadium on the 4th of December. We'll come on to their game in a moment, Cozzy. Are they a chance against the three Lions? Uh, look, I think it's going to be difficult for them to go any further, to be perfectly honest. You know, they, they play some decent stuff. They move the ball around, but... Um, I think there's a, it's a big, it's too big an ask for them. And of course, they've done it all without Sadio Mane, their striker. So uh, even to get through to the knockout phase is a major achievement. But uh, we'll see how they go against England on the 4th of December. Uh, the other game in Group A was at the Albite Stadium. Again, a six o'clock kickoff. Uh, Qatar nil, Netherlands two. Cody Gakpo with his third goal of this World Cup and Frankie de Jong. Uh, sealing a rather straightforward win and top spot in Group A for the Dutch. Um, but the Dutch media are not happy with the way that the team is playing and Louis van Gaal firing up in the post-game media conference because he's not happy at suggestions that his side are a little bit boring. Well, I wouldn't say boring, but I think you play as well as your opposition. 
mm. allow you to play in Qatar, a difficult side to play against. They didn't really cause any problems for the Netherlands, but they, they um, because of the type of football that they play, it's hard to, for the Netherlands to actually get some rhythm. Yeah. And look, I watched that game um, pretty much most of it, and for me, the, the Dutch were always going to win that game, and they could have had three or four more as well. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't one-way traffic, but it certainly was a was a fairly easy match for them. And when you're already top of your group and um, things are in cruise mode, it's uh, it's really hard to, to sort of really drive that nail home and and play at the top of your game. But I don't, I don't think they're boring. I think they've got enough about them to to maybe go a little bit further in this tournament. Okay, okay. It will be uh, the Dutch against the Americans in the round of 16. We'll go on to their game uh, next. In case you're wondering, yeah, Cozzy is a little bit unwell. He's got a dose of the flu at the moment, but it's not COVID. That's the positive That's thing. That's the best Cozzy. thing, man. I'm happy <laughs> he, about that. He did the test. Uh, as for Louis van Gaal, uh, he said to that reporter who suggested that his side was boring, that if he didn't like it, then why didn't he go home? To which the, respond, uh, the reporter responded by saying he had to stay because it was his job, but watching the Dutch was like grinding teeth. They don't mess around, do they, the Dutch? No. They're very no, forthright. Look, Louis van Gaal's been around long enough to, um, to cop a bit of stick. He takes a lot of stuff on the jaw, but it's good that he gives it back sometimes. You know, and I've been in that situation. Sometimes the media get a little bit carried away with themselves. Yes, I do remember you giving it back to one or two people, probably myself included. Um, Qatar, one goal, zero points from their own World Cup, the worst of any host nation in history. Is there anything they can take as crumbs of comfort from this World Cup? Look, I think they can take experience from this because they've never been involved in anything like this in the past. They've had um, Asian Cups. Yes, it's great, um, the Asian Cup, but it's nothing of the scale of a World Cup. Mm. Um, you know, you could see in their first game they, they were had stage fright massively. Um, they've probably improved in terms of their football over the course of the last two games. But um, for them, you know, one goal and, and no points... It's not something you could be disappointed about. I know uh, the rulers of the country might have expected more, um, but you've got to put things in perspective. I think it's it's great that they've actually got involved in this and now they know that they can at least compete at this level and what's required to improve at this level. Yeah, which is obviously a fair bit if to get yeah. to the knockout stage. Uh, let's move on to Group B, uh, the later kickoffs. Uh, United States defeating Iran in the big grudge game by goal to nil. Heck of a build-up to this game, as I'm sure you're aware. Uh, Christian Pulisic got the winner on 38 minutes to set up a meeting in the round of 16 with the Dutch for the Americans. Uh, injured himself in the process, had to be taken to hospital after the game. That's not good, Cosy, because he's a key player for them, and uh, they'll hope that he'll be OK for that uh, knockout game against Holland. Yeah, well, he makes things tick. He's a clever footballer, you know. He, he he defends from the front, but he's clever when that ball gets into that front half of the pitch, and he's I guess instrumental in, or incremental in how they go about their business. Yeah. Uh, the other thing that's really impressive about the Americans, and I noticed this against England in particular, is that that midfield trio of McKinney, Adams, and Musa, that they're all pretty young, they're all very energetic, they press as a group, they can really deny space, and in that regard, they, they might well be able to cause the Dutch some problems in the round of 16. Yeah, look, I think it's not going to be easy for the Dutch, to be honest, but um, you're right, that American midfield is so vibrant. Um, they, they're actually really good to watch. Their pressing is, is relentless. Mm. Uh, you know, they really try and pin teams back, and it's, um, it's, it's almost gung-ho to some extent, but they get away with it, and they've got quality. Those three players that you mentioned are all decent footballers as well. 
As for the Iranians, <clears throat> just a game too far, given the extraordinary external pressures, that, pressures they've had to deal with. Uh, perhaps something of a miracle that they were still in contention come game day three. Of course, they uh, lost key players, Jahan Bakash, before the game, and uh, Sada Azmoun, their best striker, uh, didn't reappear after half-time either. Uh, the final game of the Knights was in Group B at the Ahmed bin Ali Stadium. Again, the late kickoff. England 3, Wales 0. I was at that game. Uh, pretty dull first half, to be honest. England largely in control, but uh, very few chances created. But it certainly opened up in the second half. Two goals for Marcus Rashford, who was excellent, uh, and one for Phil Foden. England, you sense, <clears throat> starting to build into the tournament a bit, Cosy, but... Again, there's two big questions for me. The defence hasn't really been tested as yet, and, and I still think that's a work in progress, although having Carl Walker back is a bonus. But the fact that Harry Kane doesn't look quite right, he's carrying that ankle injury into this tournament, and I don't know, this, he's not taking free kicks. He doesn't look as though he's 100% to me. Well, you sort of got to wonder then why would you would play him? Why would you not rest him in a game where... Um, you've probably got every chance of, of getting yeah. a decent result, you know, or certainly start the game. Um, but when it became comfortable, give him a spell. Um, but then the other side of it is you need minutes. Players need minutes to get back into form. And um, I mean, I've always believed if you're healthy enough to play yourself back into form and, and uh, maybe they're giving him enough, Gareth Southgate's looking to give him enough time to do that. Well, they gave both uh, Harry Kane and Carl Walker the last 20 minutes off being uh, substituted. Kieran Trippier and Callum Wilson coming on. Callum Wilson in particular was, was very, very good off the bench. Uh, as for Wales, uh, a disappointing tournament for, for Rob Page's team. They, they just did not perform at all, did they? It's a bridge too far, Simon. 60 years since they've been in the World Cup finals. Mm. Um, and, you know, they... They looked a side that can actually do something. I think the best they played was the second half in the opening match against the USA. Yeah. Um, they were dynamite. They were thoroughly um, beaten in their first half of that game, but I mean the match ended in a draw. But um, in the second half, they looked like they actually do something. Um, but they've never really kicked on with it. You know, Gareth Bale um, probably all he got subbed at half time. Very disappointing. Um, I guess a, a disappointing tournament for him because it's his swan song mm. basically. Um, you know, and you know, speaking to a couple of Welsh friends of mine this morning, um, they were pretty disappointed with the way that Wales, um, I guess, caved in so meekly. Yeah, I think they expected just a little bit more. Uh, the good news, of course, is that the World Cup expands to 48 teams uh, for the next one, which is in America, Mexico, Mexico and Canada. Uh, so maybe they won't have to wait 64 years for the next World Cup uh, appearance. Before the break, let's uh, join Liam Clancy for the latest odds, thanks to Betfair. Find better odds on the World Cup at Betfair. Gamble responsibly. Call 1800-858-858. Thanks, Simon. And uh, let's start with a wrap-up from this morning's matches. We had Netherlands 2-0 win over Qatar, which wasn't quite impressive enough for the punters as their tournament winner odds drifted from 1850 to $19. Senegal went 370 into 170 after their upset 2-1 win over Ecuador. Wales are officially out of the tournament, and England went 11.50 into $10 with their second half 3-0 demolition. That $10 is the best price in the market, with the next best $9. Iran also officially out with the United States 250 into 140 after their 1-0 win, as their dream stays alive. If you're looking for some value in the outright market, Stats Insider have Portugal a 9.9 chance of taking this out which translates to about the $10 mark. So there's $14 available right now on the Betfair Exchange, also best price in the market. For tonight's matches, we start with Tunisia and France. 
Front of the short favourites at $1.46, in from the 155 overnight. The market says they're very hard to beat and the second favourites to win the tournament at $6.80. Mexico are heavy favourites against Saudi Arabia at $1.74 and the Saudis to pull off their second upset of the tournament at $5. Next, we have Poland versus Argentina and we have another short favourite with Argentina $1.50 to win the match. Poland are undefeated in the tournament so far and if you think they can keep that record intact, $1.51 to lay Argentina could be the play for you. So the match of the night for us Aussies and with a severe underdog against Denmark at $7.40. The draw is $4.60, but the market is with the Danes to win at $1.54. Stats Insider have been brilliant at finding value so far this tournament, and in this match they have Mitchell Duke again as the most likely player to score for the Aussies at 18.4%, translating to about a $5.43 chance. So the 6.20 currently available on Betfair is the suggested player of the night. As always, we've got the best insights and analysis available online at the Betfair Hub. And if you're gambling, please make sure you do so responsibly. That update, thanks to Betfair. Don't settle for the odds given. Find better odds on the World Cup, thanks to Betfair. Gamble responsibly. Call 1800 858 858. Welcome back to the Global Game at the World Cup, thanks to Kraken.com, trusted by 9 million crypto customers worldwide. Kraken.com, broadcast sponsors of SEN's coverage of the FIFA World Cup, Qatar 2022. So let's round out today's show with a look ahead to day 11 of the tournaments, uh, the other three games, not including Australia, of course, and there is a real feel of knockout football having arrived early as the group stages draw to a close. Uh, the other game in Group D, Australia's group, is France against Tunisia. The standings going into these uh, final games. France top six points, already qualified, plus four goal difference. Australia second, three points, but minus two goal difference. Denmark third, one point, minus one goal difference. And Tunisia at the bottom, one point, also minus one goal difference. So the France-Tunisia game, uh, six o'clock kickoff, same time as Australia's game against uh, Denmark, of course. Uh, but this one at Education City Stadium, uh, I guess the big talking point, and uh, we already probably three quarters know the answer to this, Cosy, is whether France made uh, make wholesale changes. Um, Didier Deschamps has hinted at the fact that he will probably do that. Well, that's his prerogative as a coach, but um, I mean, they can't get knocked off a top perch. So that's the most important thing. Um, Tunisia, like as much as um, they play some decent football, I don't think um, they're going to trouble France no matter who plays. Um, Tunisia have yet to score a goal. Um, they caused us a few problems. They got some good players, but once again, um, in that middle third of the pitch, up to around the edge of the penalty area, they do a good job. Um, but France defend really well. They get their line deep when they need to. They push up. They're tired. They've got experienced defenders. Mm. So I can't see Tunisia, no matter who plays for France, um, getting an outcome from this. And um, Deschamps are probably looking at his, his players and thinking, I need to give them a rest. I mean, he took Giroud off the other night. He took Griezmann off the other night against Denmark. And I think they came off before um, they actually scored the winner. Killing Mbappe, um, interestingly enough, has, has played both full 90 minutes in, in the games and already got himself three or four goals, hasn't he? So hmm. or two the other night, one against us. So um, he is a player for me that he looks like he wants to play the whole game and that's it. And he's, he's enough of an athlete to be able to do that. I don't think he'd leave him out. It would be the most irritating thing for Australia if we were to get a point against the Danes 
and Tunisia were somehow to spring a surprise against France. That well, would be really gutting, wouldn't it? It would. It um, it would be heartbreaking, to be perfectly honest. It um, I don't know what we do about it. We yeah. get the draw that we need, and, and they manage to jag a result. Yeah. Well, let's hope it doesn't happen. Uh, Tunisia, only one of three teams, Mexico and Uruguay, the others, yet to score at this World Cup. And uh, France uh, virtually confirming that at least one change will be made. Eduardo Camavinga will start at left-back. You might remember that Lucas Hernandez uh, is out of the tournament, their first choice left-back. He was replaced by his brother, Theo, uh, for game two against the Danes. But they're going to give Camavinga the third choice left-back go to uh, test out their depth. Let's move on to uh, Group C. These are the standings ahead of the final uh, batch of games in this section. Poland at top with four points, plus two goal difference. Argentina second on three, they're plus one. Saudi Arabia also on three, they're minus one. And Mexico at the bottom on one point with a goal difference of minus two. Uh, Argentina take on Poland. Cozzi at Stadium 974, 10 o'clock kickoff. Uh, a draw is good enough for the nation of your heritage, for Poland. Uh, do they get it? And how do they approach this? Do they play with two strikers, as they have done, Arkadiusz Milik alongside Robert Lewandowski, or do they play a little bit more conservatively? Well, I don't think they actually play with two out-and-out strikers. Mm. Lewandowski tends to float around higher up the pitch, and it's almost a 5-4-1 or a 4-4-1-1, um, that type of scenario. With Milik in support. Yeah. yeah. So it's not like, um, you know, expecting Robert Lewandowski at his age and with his experience to, to go chasing. Argentine players and the way that Argentina set up as well they they have numbers behind the ball and they leave the, the I guess the more devastating players like Messi for example they leave them a little bit higher up the pitch as well so um, I can't see them doing anything different they they were they've been out possessed um, in both their games so far um, but they've been very very resolute and you've got someone like Lewandowski who um, scored his first World Cup goal in that last game um, and he probably could have had a hat-trick in the end he had a, another one disallowed and he hit the post as well so um, when you've got someone like him at the front um, of the pitch and even if you are out possessed you get the ball in the right areas he's going to do some damage so I think Argentina really need to be on their game for this one yeah he's had a real mixed bag at this World Cup hasn't he Lewandowski missed yeah. a penalty in the first game and intriguingly well that would just... have solved the problem because <laughs> yeah, Mexico exactly. would have been out um, and it shows you how fickle football is as well. After that uh, first game, which, of course, they drew Poland, their coach was under all sorts. And yet here they are, top of the section, just needing uh, a point against Argentinas to go through. A-, a word on the Argentines. Obviously, they had to work pretty hard against Mexico in that game at Lucille, their last outing before some Leo Messi magic turned the tide. Are they a bit too reliant on the little genius? Uh, look, if you've got someone like Messi in your team, of course you're going to be reliant on him. I mean, it's a bit like Brazil and, and Neymar, although Brazil, I think, actually played quite well um, without Neymar in the side last night. So, look, it, Messi is always going to start. He, You know, and he turned the tide the other day. He manages to... Even if things aren't going well for him or for his side, he still is always a threat. And mm. so, yes, they are reliant on him, but um, that's why you pick players like him, don't you? Yeah, well, you're not going to leave him out, are you? No. Uh, the other game is between Mexico and Saudi Arabia. That's at loose sale, also a 10 o'clock kickoff uh, local time. Uh, Mexico really up against it. That, I mean, they've simply got to win and hope um, that things go their way in the other game. They've got to overturn a pretty big goal difference to get over the top of Poland, for example, if Argentina were to win. Uh, and their coach, Gerardo Martino, really up against it. He is copping it big time 
in Mexico after that loss to Argentina. Of course, he is Argentine by birth, Cosy, and some calling him a spy uh, for Argentina. Um, but on a serious note, that their proud record we, we've talked about before, they've reached the round of 16 in each of the last seven World Cups. I mean, that is really on the line. It is. Game. and they're, Look, they're not the side that they have been in the past. They have scored no goals so far problem um, isn't it yeah it is a, it's a big problem for them you know the, it's easy to blame the coach and say he's an Argentine spy um, I mean who employed him so this was all planned when he got the job that oh, if we get Argentina in our group I'm going to let the guys know what's happening and uh, I'm not worried about my own job no it doesn't work that way it's no. ridiculous but look fans are fans and they're always going to say that aren't they so Mexico really have to, to I guess pull their fingers out and do something and they've got to score a lot of goals as well to overturn that goal difference should Poland draw yeah or even lose. You'd reckon Edson Alvarez uh, might start. Uh, and just another uh, word on that coaching situation in Mexico. I, I read in the Mexican press that Miguel Herrera is already being lined up as the new coach. After well, the World there you Cup. go. Goodness so me. it's basically game over. Yeah, so. it looks like it, doesn't it, for Martino? Yep. Um, a word on the Saudis. They made such a good start, of course. Shocked the world by defeating Argentina by two goals to one and couldn't back that up, even though they played well, in my opinion, against Poland on match day two. Even though they're on three points, uh, because of the goal difference situation, they probably need to win as well, don't they? Because if Argentina, for example, beat Poland, um, then a point is not going to be good enough for Saudi because Poland's goal difference is better. Uh, so they're going to have to go out and go for it as well. It's isn't it, it's the beauty of the sport, isn't it? You get to this stage, and we're already, you know, not even out of the group stages yet, and we've got sudden death matches. Yeah. Um, and you know, we saw how good the football was yesterday because there's just so much at stake. Um, look, I think the Saudis. I said it um, before. I think they made a mistake with the public holidays and the Rolls Royces and everything after they, they went beat. too early. Yeah, they went way too early because football is not um, one swallow making a summer. Football is about consistency. Um, and they've got to be able to back up their performances. They play well. They move the ball around well. But like a lot of teams here, like Mexico and, and, and others, um, they get to the front third of the pitch and it just doesn't work for them. They don't know how to break good opposition down. Just a, a word on that, and I'm intrigued in your view uh, on this because we've had similar discussions in the past in Australia. Because developing leagues in Asia, of which we're one, the A-League in Australia, tend to bring in uh, players from overseas in attacking positions. It, it can limit the amount of game time that local strikers and attacking players get. Is that part of the issue for look, countries in Asia? I think it's a small part of it, Simon. Yeah. If you look at what's happened with Japan, um, for example, they brought in a lot of Brazilians when they first set the J-League up years ago. Um, and now they've stopped that and they've limited the amount of players that, that can actually come in and play, but it actually helped them develop and they, they learned from what they had. The thing is you can bring in good quality strikers provided you learn from mm. them. I think their biggest problem in Australia is that we, we got wrapped up in the whole ticky-tacker thing with Barcelona um, a dozen years or so back and um, it's all about possession, but possession doesn't win your games. Penetration wins games. You've mm. got to know how to get in behind. You've got to know how to finish. I've, I've done work with a lot of young kids. You put them in front of goal and their basic technique won't allow them to finish properly. Mm. You know, and at 18, 19, you've got to be able to get your timing right. You've got to be able to get your runs off the ball right. You've got to, you've got to be thinking about scoring goals. And our kids don't. Our kids think about, oh, I want to play. But what's my job? I'm a striker. I have to get goals. It doesn't matter if you don't play that well. You get your name on the score sheet. That's what when you've done your job. Yeah, it's a it, mindset, it's, and we need to change that. It's fascinating insight. And I know that uh, you know some coaches are of the view that 
you can uh, teach structures to teams and you you know you can set your teams out in in whatever formation you want whatever system you want and whatever approach you want but in the attacking third it relies more on instinct and individual creativity and maybe we don't encourage that enough i'm not just talking about australia but you know maybe in the region that we're in because we're trying to develop our domestic leagues and we're bringing in attacking players from overseas we don't develop that area well enough i yeah i think we're still too focused on playing in possession yeah. instead of how you score i mean you go back to brisbane raw under Ange when he took over there and um the first when he took over from Frank Farina halfway through that season, he struggled a little bit. Brought some players in, and they worked on how they would break teams down. And they worked on their runs in the box. That's when Barisha came into it, when Broich mm-hmm. came into it, and you look at how they scored goals. Um, so they worked on on how to finish, and they, you know, I guess revolutionised cutting back um, rather than balls across the face or crosses into the box. Um, now, the, if you look around the world, the game's actually starting to change back the other way. You see a lot of even Barcelona in in La Liga are now starting to knock balls because they've got someone like Lewandowski playing for them they're knocking balls in the air into the box they never used to do that I was going to say that the FIFA technical report that came out only yesterday has identified that as a real trend at this World Cup that to avoid the initial press teams are going longer yep um it's it's a fascinating development, isn't it? Uh, well, how often do you see a team play out and they go bang, 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 right side, left side, can't get forward, back to the keeper, whooshka, yeah. up it goes. Yeah. Uh, and more often than not, the keepers aren't kicking that well either. There's a lot of it ends up in touch. Yeah. And interesting that Matty Ryan sort of learned from his mistake he on, on match day one. did not he? play out the other he night, did he? He did not, did he, against uh, Tunisia. Uh, thanks for your insights, Cozzy, as ever. That's it from Cozzy and I in Doha today. Uh, the rest of the day's news from Qatar coming right up after the break. Yes, thank you to Simon and Cozzy again. Alex Bolchanov with you for the daily update on the global game. You just heard the great saves of the day there for Schnitz. Schnitz wraps burgers, schnitzels, chips, schnitz at your way this season, schnitz safest hands in schnitzel. And to get us underway in the daily update today, well, isn't it a big game tomorrow? 2am, we're counting down, not too far away, the SEM Football Hub coming up tonight, straight after us from 11 all the way through till kickoff at 2am. And Graham Arnold was speaking at the pregame press conference this morning. And the highlight of the press conference came when Joey Lynch of ESPN asked about the development pathways and how Graham Arnold had shaped this team after going to watch them at the 2018 World Cup, knowing he had the job, but also knowing that there was a bit of rebuilding to do, given the ageing nature of that side. Here's what Arnie had to set on that and how Football Australia needs to change things moving forward. Yeah, look, I, I think there's more than five <clears throat> um, that were that was with us at the Olympics, um, but it was a, a quick fix, and it's not right. Um, when I say that, it's uh, you know whatever happens with this World Cup, we need to. I think the organisation and everything needs a, a review of what's going on at junior development because uh, when I went in 2018 and I first got appointed to the job to Russia, and I watched the them play, I could see straight away that <clears throat> Kale, Yadinak, Milligan, Cruz and an, an ageing squad was there and I needed to, you know, I'd already taken the job, I needed to find players and then when I started looking, um, then there was nothing coming through and when you're ringing A-league coaches and you're talking about two players per club, I barely could put a, a squad together to go to Thailand and even to Cambodia and... Uh, 
And, you know, that's not right. We need more kids given an opportunity in Australia. And uh, there's, for me, there's massive concerns uh, for the future moving forward unless it's fixed. And uh, so, you know, as I said, it was a quick fix. And that's why I did the Olympic team for nothing. And that's why I had to do it for a reason. When I asked the organisation, what's the Olympic program? And it's 10 days preparation and they didn't even have a coach two months before. You know, that, those type of things are not right. But at least now, Tony Vidmar's in charge of that. Uh, the Olympic team, he's here with me. And and as I said, it's uh, the Socceroos are just the icing on the cake. And whatever that icing, whether it tastes good or bad, the most important thing is the ingredients. And the ingredients is junior development and junior national teams. And if that's not right, then the icing will not taste, taste very good. So some of those changes already made. You mentioned Tony Vidmar there, did Arnie? But there's a long, long way to go. Those comments from Annika Wells were promising as well during the World Cup while she was over there. But FA CEO James Johnson has got his work cut out. That national second division is reportedly coming in 2024. Let's have our fingers and our toes crossed. That is the case. And that is the start, getting our football pathways better served in this country. On the game itself, Arnie was pressed on Christian Eriksen and spoke about what a fantastic thing it is for Australia to play against him again after they after he scored against us back in 2018. He's had quite a journey since then. Here's what Arnie had to say. Inspirational. It's, um, <clears throat> you know, it's, it's just marvellous that he's here and, uh, and it's, it's, it's truly great that we're going to be playing against him. And, you know, I think that uh, you know, it was such a special moment for the Danish uh national team as well when he came back and when you saw, you know, when he went back and now he's at Man United and seeing what he's doing uh, shows the rest of the world that uh, how what a strong character he is and, and a top person by the looks of it. I don't know him, of course, but uh, you can see that uh, <clears throat> when that sad moment occurred that everyone rallied around him and behind him and it was, we were actually watching it. Where were we then? Q8. Q8. Yeah, with World Cup qualifiers, and uh, we were watching it, and it was horrifying. But uh, to see him now back and being at this World Cup, you know, it's uh, special for us to be able to play against him. A phenomenal story indeed. So glad that we are getting to see Christian Eriksen. Hopefully he's not the difference tomorrow, but in any case, it's great to see him back out on a World Cup stage and a football stage at all after what happened at the Euros. And as I mentioned, the SEM Football Hub coming up tonight, 11pm, Paul Sebastiani leading the team, previewing Australia versus Denmark. Three hours of preview. They'll be taking your calls and texts. Get involved with the show. And then 2am, it all kicks off. Australia versus Denmark, Jordan Canellis, Archie Thompson taking you through that one. You'll be able to monitor Tunisia versus France on the app. If you're double screening, double phoning, double radio and phoning, whatever you're doing to consume those two games, you can find it all on the SEN app. And then Group C finishes off after the Aussies and Denmark from 6am. Poland taking on Argentina, the winner the winner of that game, guaranteed a place in the round of 16. The other will be looking at the result of Saudi Arabia and Mexico. Both those games will be available on the app after the breakfast shows have started across all states tomorrow morning in from 6am Australian Eastern Daylight Time. As for Simon and Cozzy, they'll be back with all the fallouts, whether good or bad, from that Socceroos clash with Denmark and will be airing across the network from 9pm Australian Eastern Daylight Time or, as always, you can find us on the podcast from 6pm 
Australian Eastern Daylight Time. Alex Molchanoff signing off for today's daily update. Go the Socceroos, and I'll hand it over to the boys at the SEM Football Hub. Talk to you soon.